Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon. This is Dean Finelli. Thank you for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio, where we talk about all issues related to the life science industry and the politics that affect the industry. I am very happy today to have AANP, the Association of American Nurse Practitioners President, uh, Dr. Sophia Thomas, will join us in a few minutes. Uh, Before we speak with Dr. Thomas, just want to summarize some of the hot stories that are going on right now. Uh, The Of course, the vaccines are now being authorized in even younger people. Uh, We know that Pfizer, its vaccine is authorized in uh, people as young as 16, Uh, both Moderna and J&J are 18 and above. All of these companies are testing their vaccines in younger uh, children, uh, even down to six month olds. Uh, But we know now that Pfizer has been authorized to, the FDA has authorized Pfizer to extend its uh, authorization for its current vaccine from 16 down to 12-year-olds. So now 12 to 15-year-old adolescents will be eligible to get that vaccine. You know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Certainly that's great news uh, to expand this out and make the vaccine available. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how parents, how willing parents are to get their kids vaccinated uh, you know, I would guess it would probably track with uh, adults who've gotten vaccinated. Uh, we are seeing some skepticism, which is uh, qu- kind of interesting. It seems that that date when J&J had uh, its vaccine paused is really the date where we saw uh, the number of daily vaccines really drop off quite a bit. Nonetheless, we're still seeing uh, on average over 2 million doses administered per day. So that's certainly good news. Uh, but that is down from over 3 million about a month ago or less than a month ago. So uh, interesting news out there. We'll see how that plays out with adolescents. And we are seeing that there's about 20% of Americans that say they will not get the COVID vaccine and nothing will change their mind, which is really, you know, it's very unfortunate. This issue has become so politicized. There's so much misinformation out there. And when you look at this, a lot of the the reasons that people give uh, for wanting to wait, you know, are legitimate reasons. They feel like this has uh, been done very quickly, and uh, that the the drug, excuse me, the vaccines are still authorized, which technically means they're experimental. But you know, overall, when you look at this, the FDA is the gold standard when it comes to vaccine and drug approval. They've looked at the data. We have you know over 150 million Americans who have been vaccinated. 
So, you know, that blanket skepticism and a lot of it, uh, some of the misinformation out there, I think, is dissuading people. So uh, hopefully those people will change their minds because, you know, you can it's one thing to make an informed decision. uh, But, you know, when you look at the the virus and the vaccines, the symptoms and the long term effects of the virus, we're still learning a lot about that. Uh, In my opinion, they clearly outweigh any of the slight risks associated with the vaccines. You know, currently we have about, uh, there's about five or six vaccines, uh, three of which are authorized, two or three are still in trials. Novavax, uh, Bethesda, Maryland-based company is in trials. They announced that they're going to probably submit their uh, application for authorization sometimes this summer. What's interesting about Novavax is they're also testing a dual uh, flu and coronavirus vaccine. So that'll be interesting to see if this turns out that it's an annual event, uh, maybe even for the short term, who knows, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if that gets authorized or approved uh, so we don't have to get stuck twice with that. Uh, and hopefully, uh, we also heard Pfizer is submitting their application for full approval of their vaccine. Maybe some of those people that are out there that are a little skeptical, uh, once they see full approval, maybe that'll convince them to get the vaccine. Another issue somewhat related uh, is this issue of patent waivers. Uh, President Biden indicated that he he supported the U.S. waiving its patent rights as it relates to uh, patents that protect the vaccines. Uh, you know, as a patent attorney myself, you know, I think that was more of a symbolic gesture than a substantive gesture. Certainly, you know, patents do preclude people from copying or uh, doing what is claimed in the patents. But here, what we're talking about is very complicated technology that it's very unlikely by waiving these patents, you know, manufacturers are going to be able to automatically come online and, you know, develop these vaccines. I think a smarter approach would be just working with the current companies that are authorized, expanding that uh, manufacturing and distribution out, because a lot of the the large-scale manufacturing uh, is know-how and underlying trade secret uh, methods that won't be available in the patents anyway. So it will be interesting to see. We know that uh, on the, the global level, Germany has said they will not support that. So at the World Trade Organization, uh, that will hold things up. So interesting to see how that plays out. But President Biden is on board with waiving uh, patent rights. I'd like to now bring on our guest, uh, Ms. Sophia Thomas. Uh, Dr. Thomas is president of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. She's a certified family and pediatric nurse. Uh, dedicated to providing care to underserved families. Uh, She also has her uh, doctoral degree in nursing practice from Loyola University. And last year, Dr. Thomas was chosen as one of modern healthcare's 100 most influential people in healthcare. So it's a real honor and privilege to have Dr. Thomas with us. Dr. Thomas, thank you for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. Well, it's great to be with you, Dr. Finelli. So we've heard so much about, and, you know, I remember a year ago just seeing hospitals being overwhelmed and, you know, seeing all the stress that 
nurses were under, you know, with the lack of uh, the PPE and just the lack of knowing about the, having a new virus that was being transmitted in hospitals were overwhelmed. Uh, how are nurses generally in the industry doing? Well, I have to tell you, um, as far as nurse practitioners go, more than 60% of nurse practitioners have been on the front lines of testing and treating COVID-19 patients in primary care, hospitals, long-term care settings, and providing at-home care. And additionally now, um, nurse practitioners have been doing telehealth service as well as providing vaccines to patients, really making an effort to go to uh, the communities where patients live to uh, directly impact those who are medically underserved, those who might not be able to get out of the house to go get a vaccine. Just a few weeks ago, I went door to door in the ninth ward of New Orleans, um, offering vaccines to the people that live there. Um, and, and so it's just amazing. We're trying to do everything we can across healthcare to impact the overall health of our country by getting people vaccinated and getting them educated to fully understand. Uh, what COVID-19 is and its impact on the body. And as you discussed earlier, so correcting any misinformation that people have about getting the vaccines, which I, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And as you said, about 20% of the population just says they won't get the vaccine. But, um, you know, we're really mobilizing across the country to encourage vaccine participation in a ways, uh, raise awareness about this, um, as well as encouraging people now that we have the vaccines on board we want to encourage people to get back into primary care you know so many people have missed those screenings and and their wellness checks they're behind on regular immunizations so it's really time for people to start getting back into primary care and get caught up on their necessary health care screenings yeah that is just so important we're talking with dr sophia thomas on politics and life science radio dr thomas one of the issues uh, when I've spoken to nurses, uh, you always hear that they're working these long shifts. They have, they're constantly uh, on call. And we know typically that, at least it seems to me, they, they're always working these 12-hour shifts and uh, staffing just seems to be an issue. Is that kind of an issue that's really affecting the industry? Well, I tell you, that's, that's one of the many uh, issues affecting the industry. And in fact, Burnout in healthcare is something that was people were experiencing before COVID-19 happened. Um, you know, with the advent of the electronic medical record, healthcare providers were being asked to check a lot of boxes and um, really focus on treating the computer and not the patient. And we really want to get back to uh, hands-on patient care. And so a lot of people have been burned out before the pandemic, but certainly uh, throughout COVID-19, um, healthcare providers are deeply committed to caring for our patients, but there's no doubt that the length of this pandemic, the loss of the patient lives we've seen firsthand, the worries about bringing COVID home to our families, the staffing shortages we've seen have really made it extremely challenging for nurses and other healthcare providers. Are you, do you know how has COVID directly impacted, have there been uh, deaths or a lot of sickness uh, in the nursing industry having you know, especially, as you mentioned, they're dealing uh, directly with the community. Uh, and you look back to last year when there wasn't a lot of information out, yet they were still right on the front lines, nurses. Uh, how have they been directly affected by COVID? You know, it's interesting. Certainly, um, nurses are exposed to COVID every day at work. But, um, you know, fortunately now, we're not seeing the PPE shortages that we were uh, back uh, back this time last year. 
Um, so early on in the pandemic, due to the PPE shortages, we were seeing healthcare providers um, getting sick due to patient care. But as things moved on into the summer, we found that healthcare providers were actually getting COVID uh, not um, directly involved in patient care. They were getting it in the break rooms when people took their masks off um, or out in the community. But certainly when healthcare providers are impacted by a pandemic and you take people out of the workforce, there, that does cause a backlog and, and the need for, for more healthcare providers, whether it's um, physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners to come on board because, you know, we still have those needs that are that need to be met. Um, certainly, as you know, uh, hospitalizations are significantly down and the deaths are going down, but um, there's, you know, there's still room in the inn, as we say, in the hospital, but uh, things could change on a dime. Um, you know, we've got these new variants coming out. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I'm speaking with president of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, Dr. Sophia Thomas. Dr. Thomas, what do you think, you know, notwithstanding COVID and you know, what are some of the, the skills that uh, you want, you can elaborate that nurses have? Because a lot of times, you know, we, when we go into hospitals, when we go to the doctor's office, you know, we kind of just take it for granted that we see a nurse uh, or we see a doctor. But what, can you elaborate on some of the skills that these nurses have and the education that some of the nurse, that nurses go through? I know you're highly educated yourself, but can you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. So to become a nurse practitioner, one must be a bachelor's prepared uh, registered nurse first. Um, they have to complete a nurse practitioner focused graduate master's or doctoral nursing program in one of um, six areas. They're generally educated in uh, primary care, women's health, pediatrics, neonatal, adult gerontological, psych mental health, or acute care. And so when you visit a nurse practitioner, um, you know, like a physician, a nurse practitioner can diagnose and treat acute conditions, order diagnostic tests like x-rays or lab work, um, manage a patient's care, serve as a primary care provider. Uh, nurse practitioners are nationally board certified in specialties um, and recertify every five years. Um, in 23 states plus the District of Columbia, uh, patients had full and direct access to nurse practitioner provided care, um, meaning uh, nurse practitioners in those states have what we call full practice authority or the ability to practice at the top of their education and training without any outdated regulatory restrictions. Um, and so we're hoping, as we've seen the, the pandemic wane on, uh, five states have actually waived those requirements that limit nurse practitioners' ability to practice. And uh, in those states, we're hoping to make those waivers permanent uh, to allow uh, improved access to care. Nurse practitioners are very focused on improving access to care increasing access to quality health care, as well as health care equity. Um, you find us practicing in every facet of health care, but, but definitely um, caring for the medically underserved in rural health clinics and community health centers. Um, tend, you'll definitely find a lot of nurse practitioners in those areas. That's really amazing. I want to shift gears a little bit because I know uh, a lot of when we talk about vaccines, you know, Operation Warp Speed was just, in my opinion, you know, just such a huge success and really a medical marvel to get uh, these vaccines authorized so quickly. And I know uh, you were one of the other things you've done is you're a part of uh, the uh, consultation panel on Operation Warp Speed. Uh, can you describe what it was like being involved with that process? You know, it, I was I was so impressed. It was such an amazing process. Um, 
um, Operation Warp Speed under HHS um, put together a group of healthcare uh, association leaders to um, really provide uh, a conduit to the healthcare community as vaccines were developed. Um, we were consulted for things to consider when we're, we're doing the rollout and how things uh, should best be managed. Now, I have to say, uh, they had an amazing machine working out all the regulatory red tape, being able to uh, develop these public-private partnerships to get the vaccine ramped up and rolled up very, very quickly. Um, it was an awesome, awe-inspiring experience to see that everything happened uh, so quickly, yet very, very safely. And we got these emergency use authorizations for the vaccines and the rollout occurred. Uh, it was really a feat uh, that took, you know, uh, hundreds and uh, thousands of people to develop these, to get them ready for the EUAs for, for vaccinating uh, the public. So wonderful experience. I, I have to say uh, that was probably very life-changing for uh, most of Americans that we were able to get the vaccine in less than a year. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. That was just, I mean, when you look at the, just all the moving parts that were put together just to get that going, I mean, the genome being announced in January and having two authorized vaccines in December, just really uh, a medical marvel. Just really incredible. Thank you for your help with that. Uh, the last question I'll have for you is what advice do you give to young men and women who are in college or uh, even younger who are considering going into the field of nursing? You know, I, I, if they're interested in it, I, I, I highly recommend it. It's something, you know, generally if you ask people, uh, why did you become a nurse? They say, I want to help people. And, you know, you can help people in lots of different ways. And I would tell a young person, if, they, if that's something that they're interested in doing, um, ask if they can shadow a nurse or shadow a nurse practitioner. Uh, many, many hospitals, um, even outpatient facilities will let young people shadow um, healthcare professionals so they can get an idea and understanding about what's really involved in the role. There's nothing better than seeing it firsthand. And I think that would help them make a, a better educated decision as to if that's the way they want to go um, with their career. So that's something I would absolutely recommend. That's just really fantastic. Dr. Thomas, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're busy. It's just really been an honor talking with you today and thank you for taking your time. Absolutely. It's been great speaking with you as well. This is Dean Finelli on Politics and Life Science Radio. We were talking with Dr. Sophia Thomas, the president of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. We will join you again next week. In the meantime, everyone be safe and we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.